As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to Rates and Barrels, presented by Tops. Check out Tops Project 70, celebrating 70 years of Tops baseball cards. Derek Van Riper here with Eno Saris. It is Wednesday, August 25th. Could be the day that I break into my own U-Box to get my move completed today. As I was telling Eno before we started recording, I have to figure out how to unjam a master lock, the kind that you had like on a locker in high school with the numbers on it. The dial won't turn. My movers get here in a few hours. I'm sure it's all going to work out, but some MacGyver-type maneuvers uh, will follow this podcast. And if I had the wherewithal to record it, I'm sure it would be hilarious for viewing at a later date. Two words, liquid nitrogen. (laughs) That's definitely on the list. It's like not quite the top five because of the difficulty to obtain it, but (laughs) I know it's one way to get to that box. It's got to be nearby somewhere. (laughs) Yeah, it's got to be something. I mean, yeah, there's all all sorts of, of... brilliant minds nearby i'm sure we can find a way to get into that box it's just a matter of timing you're really close to the stanford linear accelerator so all you got to do is have them set it up so they can uh, ram one of those uh one of those ions as fast as possible at <laughs> the stanford linear accelerator is actually pretty interesting that's where they are trying to accelerate uh particles as fast as they can to smash them into each other and one of the possible outcomes is a black hole. Beautiful. It's good to know that I'm close <laughs> to the black hole, so there won't even be a fraction of a second where I, I know that there's something bad that's about to happen. It will just happen before I know it's happened. Just the blink of an eye. Uh, on this episode, we will discuss some big movers with the O-swing percentage, looking at some hitters that have gone the right direction and some that have gone the wrong direction, trying to figure out what that means for the future. We'll dig into what we think are some of the league's most dangerous bullpens, And we'll try to find the next K-Rod because that's kind of a related idea. So let's dig in. Let's start with the bats because the O-swing percentage leaderboards, the year-over-year changes over at Fangraphs, there's something we've talked about a couple times in this show. I think it's good for a couple of things. One, it can help you find players that might be surprisingly useful if they find playing time down the stretch. Uh, And two, it might help you avoid some players in the future if you see a massive drop and it's part of a, a broader 
uh, set of decline, right? Like you'd see big picture decline sometimes, and this is a way to kind of get you a nudge to look at a player more closely. Let's start with the positives, though. I need happiness. I need good things in my morning right now. Let's uh, talk about Tyro Estrada just for a second, because I think he fits into that very first group I described. He's the kind of player where if he is playing, he is probably a lot more useful than people realize. And of course, he's an infielder for the Giants. And I would say the success of someone like Lamont Wade is probably what I'm thinking about here. I mean, Lamont Wade quietly approaching 20 home runs. Estrada was this sort of up and down guy with the Yankees for the last few years. And Filling a similar role right now for the Giants, but he's already collected more big league plate appearances this season than he has in any other big league season. I imagine we'll see him again at least at some point in September when rosters expand. There are some flaws in the profile, but I see him as the guy who has improved his O-swing percentage the absolute most of all hitters if we narrow it down to hitters with at least 50 plate appearances this season. So I just thought that was noteworthy because... I'm wondering if we're looking at the Giants now, similar to the way we've looked at maybe the Dodgers in recent years, where if they go get somebody, they might have like a, a low-risk sort of move. They probably have a reason for getting that player. Every team does. But their development, as we've talked about on this show, has been so good that we should be a little more inclined to buy into the players they take a flyer on. Yeah, it's it's pretty funny. Uh, Farhan Zaidi, there's a lot of general managers who are adept at saying nothing. Um, and, uh, to be fair, Farhan Zaidi does, uh, add words, uh, to his answers that fill space that don't mean much, but he sometimes really just tells you what he wants. And one of the things he said when he's acquired players like Lamont Wade and others is that he really values play discipline. Um, and, uh, you can see, I've said before, the giants are now top three in reach rate. This is the stat we're looking at. You might call it chase rate or O swing. Um, they, this is something they value. This is something they care about. So you take someone who had good, good hit tool, not a ton of power was a right-handed shortstop that could play in the big leagues fills a need for them because I think, I think the jury's out. Mauricio Dubon, not a shortstop. Um, I think, you know, Donovan Solano uh, do not want... He's currently the backup shortstop uh, in, in in San Francisco, I think. I'm not I'm not quite sure, but I think it's him. I mean, it's not Tommy LaStella. Uh, so <laughs> I don't know who else it could be. Uh, so unless it may, maybe it's Chris Bryant. Uh, in any case, um, he's the... He is, I think, also interesting because... Um, he's gonna he's a lock a lock for the one of the two spots uh, when September expands, and it's funny because we're gonna talk about this all throughout the show. Uh, one of the themes will be what happens when the rosters expand and who's who's left in the cupboard, who left who's left to come up. And for a lot of the really good teams, it's gonna be somebody boring. It's gonna be Tyro Estrada uh, because it just fills a need for them. You know, they need to have a right-handed backup shortstop. Uh, maybe not even right-handed, but they need to have a backup shortstop on the roster. So I think for the Giants, it'll be a reliever and Tyra Strata that comes up. And I don't know what it means long-term. It could mean that Tyra Strata takes over for a Solano Flores uh, type and becomes the right-handed backup middle infielder uh, because... As the roster is currently constructed, they could, like I said, use a backup shortstop. 
and they value versatility. We've seen that, of course, in their roster construction recently as well. So just a guy that I had not thought about at all who actually has shown at least one underlying skill growth that we find very interesting. And they play those guys. You know, so mm-hmm. if if you find next year that somebody's off the roster, Solano or Listella or somebody, and, and and Tyro looks like he's got the roster spot for the year, I, I think it's probably like a kind of a deep league thing where you know uh, it's not something that you'll want to play every week. Um, but Tyro will will play some. I mean, you could just look at how Solano and Listella are being used. Yeah, some other names here at the top of this leaderboard. Daz Cameron, who's only been up for a total of 22 games so far this season, entering Wednesday, hasn't done much. I mean, the slash line is not good. 194, 256, 375. You're not getting excited about Daz Cameron based on that, but he's got power. He's got speed. He's a part of that younger group of position players. The Tigers need to sort of figure out sooner rather than later because they need to know if they actually have someone who's part of their next good team on their hands. I don't know if that's any sort of advice to go after Daz Cameron, but I would say it's advice to keep an eye on what happens the next couple of weeks now that he's healthy again, because there might be a little more there than the surface numbers would indicate. I don't know if there's anything more you want to add to him, but we're kind of hitting on two very, very deep league fringy sorts of guys, because again, these are the kinds of guys that can show this growth on a pretty small level, but have it be somewhat meaningful if things start to fall into place otherwise. Yeah, I'm falling out of the race in uh, Devil's Rejects, and so we're loading up on peripheral guys. And, uh, you know, Cameron for speed is an interesting idea. We just picked up Jake Berger because of his, you know, we talked about this on a previous show. His quality of contact is pretty good. Um, So, you know, a lot of times you're just looking for a player like this. And for what it's worth, coaches in big leagues tell me, this is the type of player I want. I want a player who someone might, someone else might be saying is quad A because uh, that person has a high floor. That person is really close to the big leagues. And I think maybe I can, as a coach, give them that one little tweak that makes them a major leaguer. Um, and uh, so uh, I think Daz Cameron uh, fits that bill where he's he's right there. It might not work out for him, but he just had the best year in the minors that he's ever had. And uh, he's got opportunity and the team has a need at his position. So uh, it may work out. Yeah. Speaking of maybe quad A types, Josh Van Meter, pretty high up on this list. Uh, 10.6% improvement in his O swing rate from last season to this season. I would say Van Meter kind of fits into the, could we find the next Ty France sort of conversation, right? Like the guy that bounced around in the minors for a long time, was up and down a little bit at the beginning of his career, didn't even have a spot when he first uh, broke in this year, looked like kind of more of a bench player. But now, after all the trades they made in Arizona, getting that prolonged run of playing time, there is power, there is speed, there's pretty good play discipline too. It really comes down to how much lower he gets the K rate because he's at 28.2% so far this season. He didn't have major K issues though in the minors. And even when he debuted, or even his first time, yeah. Yeah, his debut back in, in 2019 with the Reds, 21.5%. That offers, a, a, I think, a glimmer of hope as well. So I think he just does a lot of things well versatile enough to hang around and on a bad team especially we I mean the, the Mariners are not a bad team that's one of the big surprises of this year on a team with opportunity which I would say Arizona absolutely is going into 2022 a player like Josh Van Meter can find his way to 500 plus plate appearances pretty easily yeah there's not really a lot of pressure on Arizona to bring Estrubal Cabrera back I don't think 
And there's not really a player that's beating down the door at one of those infield positions. So I think it's fair to assume uh, that Rojas and Van Meter might be the uh, penciled-in starters at second and third this year. The only question is uh, from our conversation last week about, or last uh, pod about Dalton Varsho, does Dalton Varsho push Cattell Marte to second or third and Rojas, uh, or and that, that costs Rojas or Van Meter's spot. However, uh, I think being the fourth infielder these days, that kind of dovetails with our conversation about what teams are doing now to uh, load manage and to, to keep their uh, position players healthy. Uh, I do think that like being the fourth infielder is more useful in more leagues than people realize. So uh, I would guess that uh, the worst case scenario for Van Meter is he's the fourth infielder. Uh, and maybe it's just maybe it's a bias because I play in deep enough leagues where a lot of the fourth outfielders and fourth infielders are meaningful. Uh, but they're also just one injury away from starting. So it is something, you know, if you're in the shallower leagues, you just you sort of remember the name. If you're in the deeper leagues, you actually stash the guy and, and either hope for the injury or just use them as they're useful. And I think Ty France is a, is a good combo. I think if I was to guess what Van Meter's uh, true talent is, um, you know, sometimes you can't tell until they get to play every day. And so you're, you're kind of getting that. Uh, second run of, of sustained work for for Van Meter, but I think I'd guess that he's kind of like a 250 hitter with 20 homer power uh, and five to eight steals, which uh, is very Francian. It plays, especially at the price that he'll go for in 2022 drafts. Some bigger names, though, that are on this list: Byron Buxton, who I think we talked about last time because he had just gone on the IL. I think the first time we looked at this leaderboard. And of course, has missed a lot of time since then, so not much has changed. But obviously, a big part of what he's been doing with year-over-year improvement is becoming more selective at the plate and, of course, hitting the ball a lot harder each year as he makes more and more contact. So uh, nothing to really add, I think, for me on Buxton just yet. I just, I'm just i believing this version of him more and more because of underlying changes like this one. Uh, and those were, I mean, those four guys, Estrada, Cameron, Buxton, Van Meter, all uh, 10 plus percent increases in, in improvements in the O swing percentage. Other guys that I thought were interesting, though, Francisco Lindor has actually improved. He's swinging less outside the zone than he has in the past by about 7%. It's been a miserable first year for him with the Mets. You know, we've talked about this team underachieving offensively. There are a lot of players out there that have a, a down year sort of like this one where I feel like it's a pretty obvious sort of bounce back. And I think with Lindor, there's there's a whole lot going on in his profile. He's swinging less in general. It's not just at pitches outside the zone, uh, just being maybe too passive. I still see a ton of good in this profile, and I think he makes sense as one of the more obvious rebound candidates for next season of, of these struggling early-round guys that we've seen this year. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the difficulties uh, in researching is that um, different players manifest the same uh, issue in different ways. So what I see here is maybe pressing. And a lot of times in the past, I've seen pressing as uh, reaching, you know, so you see you'll see that like reach rates go up uh, usually when a player is on a new team. Uh, That's something I found when uh, you know Jay Bruce was traded to the Mets and stuff, they, that you know just generally a player's reach rate. Chris Davis when he came to Oakland, uh, generally a, a player's uh, reach rate goes up when he's traded. But I think this is for Lindor. I think it's the same thing. I think he's pressing. Uh, his version of pressing is just uh, being overly passive. 
but uh, you know, coming back with Baez now there, they're in the middle of a race. Hopefully, they're both healthy. Uh, that could be. There could be. There is a run left in these Mets. You know, to speak about like real baseball, I think there really is a run left in these Mets. I think, and it's ironically, I think they just need to get enough pitching now that maybe their hitting is is um, healthier and and maybe uh, that lineup can get clicking. So. Maybe it'll just be one of those years when they hit when they don't pitch and they pitch when they don't hit. Uh, but uh, any case, I do think that there's a, a rebound coming from him. The last name on the list, though, Austin Hayes, um, I find pretty interesting because, you know, from a real life standpoint, from a fantasy standpoint, I think most people are like, oh, yeah, Austin Hayes, like, you know, totally playable, you know, low batting average, but some power, some speed, you know, Baltimore guy, like people know who he is. But they may be surprised to know that he's uh, his bat has been twenty percent, nearly twenty percent worse than league average. Uh, once you take into account his low on base percentage, and that's something that the Orioles will care about. You know, um, I would I would you know suggest that they would find another player like McKenna or Yusniel Diaz or somebody to take his place if he would to continue being uh, an ADWRC plus guy because uh, they're not playing him center so much. And um, he doesn't, if he doesn't have center field defense, then a corner outfield, a corner outfield that's 20% worse than the average, you know, even one that's 10% worse than the average is not one you want to play a lot. So you'd be looking for alternatives. However, with this increase, with this decrease in chase rate, there's a real chance that he covers over the biggest hole in his game. If he can manage like a 330 OBP next year, he should be an above league average bat because he does have the power and speed uh, and he may hold on to his job. And there may even be a little bit of breakout potential there considering he's uh, 25 or something, 26. He's right there where uh, 26. He's right there where next year could be a career year. So not... um, a great keeper asset, probably not even a great asset for the Orioles unless he takes that leap. Um, because you know, even at, even his projections say he's basically a league average bat with poor defense. So, um, you know, uh, this isn't he, he could get surpassed unless this thing sticks and he has like an eight to nine percent walk rate next year. Then really things could click for him. So, I think this is a really good sign for him that his chase rate went down. He's not supposed to be a below-average defender or even just an average defender. He's supposed to be an above-average defender. So that's kind of a surprise to me that that hasn't come through, that part of his game. But uh, we are seeing a little step forward with the power. So I think in deep, deep leagues, still some reasons to be optimistic about Austin Hayes if he's out there. We're talking like 20-team dynasty leagues or A-only keeper leagues, the kind of guy you can get very affordably and kind of stash away to see what happens over the course of the offseason. Unfortunately, we have some hitters going the other direction, so let's take a look at them. The bad part of this group, Michael Chavis, way up right now, 16.1% increase in O-swing percentage. Jason Hayward up 11.6%. Kyle Seeger, 10.2%. Josh Reddick, 9.2%. Uh, guys like Reddick especially, I always wonder if this is a, a sign of the end because yes. he's kind of, I- you know, kind of on fumes anyway as far as having opportunities. This list, this list uh, has a little bit of sense of desperation about it. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, Hayward, uh, Reddick, and even Carlos Santana to an extent. Um, I think there's some real pressing there going on, some late career pressing uh, that does not bode well for their futures. I mean, Carlos Santana's game is based on not reaching. I mean, that's one of his main attributes. If he loses that, 
Uh, I don't think that he'll be very usable next year, especially no. in Kansas City. He'll be a DFA candidate in May or June, unfortunately. So end of the line could be near for him. Definitely a guy that I went to time and time again as a cheap corner fill-in that I don't think I'll be going after next season. But I think there's three names all clustered together here that led me to a question. I don't know if we've ever really discussed this aspect of, of retrade before, but Gio Urshela, Xander Bogart, and Nick Senzel, three very different players, but all kind of clustered together as guys who have had their O-swing percentages jump this year. The common thread for me is that all three of those guys have been dealing with various injuries. Bogarts has been playing with wrist stuff, I think, on and off for quite a while now. I was digging into his profile a little bit earlier this morning, and he's making more contact than ever outside the zone. So we're not really seeing any sort of negative impact on his overall production. But have you found anything in the past that links players with an injury being a little more aggressive or too aggressive reaching at pitches outside the zone more often? No, I usually think of it as sort of a failure of preparation uh, that the information can help you uh, reach better. I have been, I am, um, this is a beat for me right now. I'm, I'm developing a story about this. Um, the overall, like the headline, the, the thesis of the story is not clear to me yet, but I've just been talking to a lot of people about reach rate and about plate discipline. A lot of them say that it's innate, but they do certain uh, drills uh, to, to improve upon it. None of them have yet said anything about the role of injury, but they have said uh, something about the role of uh, your body size, your, your body versus uh, the umpire. Um, and we've seen that a little bit with like Aaron Judge um, getting, uh, what was it? strike calls below the knee because he's so tall mm. mm -hmm. uh it seems like it's very far off the ground but he's just a tall dude and it's still below his knees that sort of deal uh the, i think there is probably uh, a little bit of a, a body size thing but in terms of injury i i can't figure out the link unless uh perhaps this could this and this could this is not this is plausible i think you have to get started earlier because of your injury Right. Your injury causes you to lose a little bit of bat speed. You got to cheat a little bit because you're cheating a little bit. You're going to make more bad decisions. I think so. There, there, I think that could that is totally plausible. It's an interesting thing I had never thought about before. I, I wonder I wonder how much of a role that is. I, I think that injury is like really the chaos in baseball, and it's like the underlying thing that affects a lot of the numbers we're seeing. Um, and And so... This, I guess this wouldn't surprise me writ large, but I just hadn't made this specific connection before. Also, uh, there is like this thing that sometimes a little bit of reach rate, like you mentioned that um, it hasn't been uh, so bad for, who was it, Urshela? Or, or, or Bogarts. It hasn't Bogarts been bad been, for Bogarts. He's, he's been great. I mean, he's, this is the third year in a row where he's hit 300 with a good OBPs at 371. He slugged 500 each of the last three seasons. He's a star. He's a great player. It's not, yeah, it's one of those things that can be good in a given season, but isn't necessarily good in the long term. Um, I think you see with Biggio, like, you can be too passive. With Kevin Biggio, you can, I think you can be too passive. So some players can uh, find some value in being more aggressive. Um, I just don't think it's good for you long term uh, to increase your reach rate because uh, we know how contact outside the zone ages. So I uh, I would say for Bogarts, it's a good short-term thing, but maybe not a great long-term thing. 
Yeah, I kind of want to keep an eye on how that goes for him next year to see if this is more of just a, an adjustment to how he's being pitched or the result of the injuries we talked about before. I think I'd be more worried about someone like Gio Urshela who doesn't have the lengthy track record of big league success, right? That 2019 season, now that we know so much more about that year, the year of the rabbit ball and how that would have impacted offensive production in such a profound way, I'm a little more quick to bail when it comes to a player like that showing that much of a, a drop-off. And I think in the case of Urshela, we're seeing a huge uptick in strikeouts. He's striking out more than ever, a 24.8% K rate from him. The increase in walk rate we saw last year, that's gone. He's kind of back to his pre-2020 levels. So I'm looking at Urshela, and I think because of his defense, there's a good path for him to still be a regular for the Yankees again in 2022, but he's going to become a very cost-dependent sort of target for me in drafts, whereas this draft season, I actually thought he was a little bit undervalued, so I was wrong about him, and I think I'm quicker to change my tune with that shorter track record of success. Yeah, yeah, I've had him on my labor squad this year, which is uh, struggling around second or third in the league. I don't think I'm going to win Ian Kahn uh, or... Our teammate there is looking like he's running away with it. Um, I I have noticed these trends uh, since I've been rostering him, and I was super excited to have him on my team uh, because I thought he would hit 300. I think his days of hitting 300 are over, uh, and I, I don't want to get too, you know, uh, chicken little. But this dude's 29. And if he's not going to walk at a 10% rate, he's going to walk at a 5% rate, which seems most likely. And he's not going to necessarily make uh, better uh, contact than the league average. Um, and he's not really known for his power. Then, then all you're, uh, you're getting uh, when you put him on your team is um, a, a guy who will play. Um, and then, you know, he's had some injuries this year. So I, I don't know that I, he'll be a, kind of a target for me next year. I think... I'm not totally out on him, though, because if he sinks far enough, he's barreling the ball more than ever. That's an encouraging sign. I think I'm just changing my expectations for the type of player he was. Like you, I saw more of like a 300 guy with a good OBP. Instead, I see more of like a 260 guy with maybe like a 310 OBP stuck in the bottom third of the Yankees lineup, but with 20 to 25 home run power if he stays healthy for a full season because of that park. I actually think there's a better chance that he has a career-high home run season left in him that he has a another 300 season. Yeah. Yeah, but the you know, in terms of skill sets, uh the 300 with 20 homers is rarer. <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh and and that's that was a little bit more worth chasing. Now it's a little bit more like, okay, if nobody else wants him, I'll take him. Especially since the the Yankees are uh, such a good team that he should have good runs in RBIs. Last guy I want to get to is Nick Senzel. We found out soon after he was brought back from the IL, they actually they were going to option him. They reversed the option and put him back on the IL. He still had some fluid on his knee, and it's just been another miserable loss season for him just on the health front. I mean, we're talking about a guy now who debuted in 2019. He's been in the big leagues for parts of three different seasons, and he's got about one full season's worth of plate appearances. And it's really not bad. 15 homers, 18 steals. That gets you pretty excited. The slash line, a little less so. 246, 308, 396. That's a little easier to find, of course. Where are you at on Senzel? Like, I have a hard time even buying anything in the underlying numbers with him just because of the plate appearances he's had. I wonder how many of them have even come at full health. Yeah. Uh, 
but I also wonder how much that deteriorating health will affect uh, one of the best skills, his his stolen base total. Um, you know, for, from a fantasy standpoint, he's uh, he had his 14 steals in 2019, and since he's had four. And he's been caught six times. So I think going forward, I wouldn't necessarily project him for a lot of steals, especially if he's, you know, draining fluid from his knee. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and so uh, there's always uh, a chance that this guy, uh, stays healthy and has a, maybe a 275 year with, you know, 15 to 18 homers and five steals, maybe eight steals. But the, 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 the dream was to chase him and maybe get a 2020 season out of him. And I, I, I'm not sure that's there anymore. No, I think it's it's fair to downgrade the speed expectation. I still think he's going to hit if he ever has uh, health behind him, though. I, I still believe in the bat, even though I don't think he's going to be as fun of a fantasy player as we once thought. So we'll see where things go for him. I imagine he'll get buried in ADP. He'll be the kind of guy that goes outside the top 400, probably, in draft champions leagues for the early part of draft season. So maybe we're stashing away just to see kind of what happens. Well, I like to that, too, because there's sometimes, uh, depending on the rules and... Uh, you know, he could have, he could also add eligibility over the year. I mean, there's still like this whiff of like, where is he going to play? Right. I mean, even with these concerns about the speed possibly being kind of taken away from the offensive part of his profile, he is very athletic and can play all over the, all over the place reasonably well. So like they'll find a spot for him if he's healthy enough to play and able to hit. But it was weird to me. They were sending him down to triple a instead of fitting him in at least as a, a semi-regular uh, for the stretch run before they had to reverse that option. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Let's get to some bullpen analysis, though, because I think this is a good time of year to check in, set some expectations. And under the radar on Tuesday, uh, Ian was kind of openly questioning how good the Rays bullpen is. And my my stock response was they're just always good, even when the names don't look good on paper. Like, that's just <laughs> what they do. They always find a way to kind of cobble it together give you a bunch of different looks, find guys that throw harder than you realize, find guys who are failed starters, find guys who failed in all different ways, and they throw it all together, and by the time you get to October, it just sort of works. And I guess I wasn't too surprised to then go to the war leaderboard just by team and, and just see like, which team's relievers have created the most war. The Rays have actually done that. Now, it should be noted, they have the second most relief innings in the league. You throw more innings, you're going to pick up more war, so... Just pointing that out, but 
There's also players that accrued that war that are no longer there. Right, the guys that are hurt. So it's not the the best way to look at it. But and it's, traded, but or, or traded and hurt in the case of Diego Castillo. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, there's there's tons of turnover in that pen all the time. But I guess it, it's still it's still to me kind of validated the idea that yeah they they're finding a way to make it work even with all of the changes. But they they're always in flux in in that aspect of their roster. They're always changing things. They're always dealing with injuries. I'm going to play the role of Ian here. I Go think, for it. I think I agree that uh, there. This is prob. I think it's almost problematic for a team this good to have this kind of bullpen. I think Kittredge is good, and you know, Chargewad is good, and Thompson's all right. You know, I like Rasmussen a lot, but he just threw five innings. I was so I surprised to starter. see that. So surprised to see that. By the way. Um. Yeah, yeah, I was a little surprised to see that. Um, and then uh, the reports from the minor leagues are not good on Nick Anderson. Uh, he's sitting ninety-two, um, and that's not going to make not going to get it done. I just I think that Velo is even more important in the postseason, and I just don't see Velo here. Um, so I did I did want to. Uh, and this was such a pain in the ass, I have to tell you. I don't want to do too much of how the sausage is made uh, <laughs> deal here. But uh, if you're ever trying to do something w- about relievers um, around the trade deadline, because I'm looking at the last month of uh, reliever stuff, um, it's not easy, man. Because all these relievers really uh, changed uh, changed uh, places. So... Uh, I had to go through and change team names on all these guys uh, to try and just figure out who, which bullpens had the best stuff plus and the best pitching plus over the last month. It's such a moving target. Uh, it was really, it was kind of tough. But uh, I did a weighted uh, approach, so it was weighted by appearances. So one uh, relief appearance by some guy with great stuff wouldn't move the needle too much. Uh, here is drum roll, please. <laughs> the top five in stuff plus. It's always, always. You can guess the number one. It's always the same team. Brewers. No, that's good. I no, Dodgers. It. Dodgers. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just messing with you. I know the Brewers are, are going to be favorable on this though, because I'm looking at the leaderboard right now, and there's a name in stuff plus for the season who's second on that list as a reliever. Jake Cousins. Jake Cousins, and love me. Some no, Jake no one outside of Milwaukee or Wisconsin or Brewers Twitter is really on Jake Cousins. Yeah, I love Jake Cousins. I, in fact, uh, for some reason, know the guy who trains him in the offseason and talk with him uh, fairly regularly. So, uh, shout out to Randy if he's listening. Um, uh, Dodgers uh, first. Uh, this is surprising to me, man. Blue Jays second. Hmm. Back to not surprising. White Sox, Yankees. Here's another surprising one. Mariners fifth. Uh, Houston sixth. Then we got Atlanta, St. Louis, Boston, Milwaukee. So that's the top 10. Uh, But uh, stuff is not everything. So let me now sort it by pitching. While you're doing that, by the way, the other teams in the top five and reliever war to this point in the season, Yankees, Mariners, Dodgers, White Sox. I think you named all four of those teams. Yeah. The Rays are the only one that weren't in there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, The Rays are looking very close to average. Uh, Yeah. 
yeah, I mean, they their stuff plus over the last month has been 101, and their pitching plus out of the bullpen has been 101. Uh, so just a they're more bit, more above average than anything. A couple names uh, jump to the top of the list if you just do pitching plus. Dodgers still first. Seattle uh, bumps up a little bit. The Giants are third despite uh, more mediocre stuff. And I think that that tracks. If you look at that Giants bullpen, it seems like they've made a, a bet on command out of the bullpen, which is very strange. Mm. Uh, that is not something people do. <laughs> um, and if you just look at their K minus BB and their home runs, um, you know, they don't have a good strikeout rate, but they have one of the best walk rates in the big leagues. Um, and they also keep the home run rate down, which you would say, okay, well, home park and all that stuff. But I think it's actually somewhat due to their command. So, it's possible the Giants have a top five bullpen. Is this why they didn't, you know, go out and get anything more than Justin Wilson? No, uh, is that right? Justin Wilson, Justin Watson, Tony Watson, Tony <laughs> Watson. They're they're both left-handers, right? I'm pretty sure they're both left-handers. Uh, anyway, Tony Watson. That is the only thing they got. Uh, the Padres show up as fourth, and Houston shows up as fifth. Uh, Tampa is eleventh uh, or so. So I don't know. I, I think that there's a real uh, issue here. There is a very interesting one-person solution that may come up in a second. Oh, yeah. We're going to get to that because there's other ways to improve your bullpen this time of year. Healthy pitchers coming back, though, would be huge. Pete Fairbanks coming back would be big. JP Fireising coming back would be big because those guys have not pitched so far in August for the Rays. So if you're looking at you know, the last month or so, two pretty important guys for them. Not actually part of that. Mix. Yeah, I think Fire Eisen would not save uh, solve the 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 velocity problem. Fairbanks could. Um, I don't like hearing shoulder associated with a pitcher I'm waiting on. Um, mm-hmm. So I have been staring a hole into Fairbanks' roster spot on a couple of my teams for a couple for like a week now, just being like, eh, "Am I wasting my time here?" Um, I I do wonder about that, but uh, there is also the. Da-da-da-da. K-Rod loophole. <laughs> yeah, the K-Rod loophole, I think, was inspired by an email that we're going to get to later. The out, this is kind of like a like a memento-style uh, storytelling in the podcast where we're, we're kind of piecing it all together backward. It's all related, but it's not in the order that it should be. We, <laughs> it's ordered by like, descending instead of ascending or something, so <laughs> yeah. it's fine. But uh, so we're, the, all, we're all just talking about those last two roster slots. That's what it is in the end. We're only just talking about the last two roster slots. We're just talking. This, this, whole, this whole podcast is dedicated to Tyro Estrada and whatever reliever uh, your team picks up, your team um, uh, uh, brings up to the big leagues next to them. Yeah, so uh, on that note, uh, please leave us a rating and review if you're still here because uh, we really appreciate <laughs> you as our most really hardcore listeners. <laughs> how, how we thought we could start with that topic and those players, I, I will never know, but I think it may have worked. I think somehow we're making some sort of coherent point, and now we're trying we're to find... finish with relievers. <laughs> utility infielders to relievers that aren't closers to possible once in every 10 to 15 year type relievers that come up and make an impact and have really good careers. That's, <laughs> yeah. that's our sweet spot today. And also possibly on a future episode, how to fix your master lock when the dial gets stuck. <laughs> uh, but finding the next K rod. I mean, I think the first and most obvious name here would be Shane Boz, right? Just yeah. because it, it, it's not because we think long-term Shane Boz is K rod and he's going to get 300 saves and, 
uh, be a reliever forever, but it's because they can bring him up, use him out of the bullpen, and they've got maybe the guy that has the absolute best stuff in the pen, not even in the bullpen yet at all. And I think that Nick Anderson situation that you mentioned is kind of important too, because he was a big part of why their bullpen was so good for a good portion of the playoffs last year. And as Nick Anderson sort of flamed out during the postseason, that hurt them quite a bit because they were, they were stretched already. Like they had everybody they needed with him and they were kind of one great late inning reliever short without him. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's the that's the K Rod thing for me. It's just uh, excellence out of the pen, not necessarily the whole career thing. Um, there, I mean, there's some, there's some people who wonder about Baz's uh, command, but he seems to have ironed that out. He's uh, throwing exclusively from the stretch now, and the uh, command numbers have have improved. Um, but uh, just in terms of how many innings he has left, and the fact that he can touch a hundred, uh, that's I think what's missing here. One thing that uh, is obvious if you kind of uh, look at leverage and how uh, games are won and how teams, uh, how bullpens are, are const- constructed. And w- basically what I'm trying to say is the weakest inning for any team is the sixth. That's when teams, that's when games are won or lost. It's the sixth. It's not even the seventh or eighth. It's the sixth. The sixth is when you're, starter goes out of the game and one of your weakest relievers comes in. Hmm. So that means you need better starters or you need more good relievers. Or you need this guy who came out of nowhere that barely anybody has seen who can throw a hundred who comes in in the sixth. So I don't think Baz is going to come in and be the closer. In fact, I think he will be what Fairbanks was in the postseason last year where Baz comes in and he comes in in the sixth. And maybe even pitches, you know, four or five outs or whatever if they if they think that's okay for his health, and uh, and that'll be the that'll be what makes it work. And then you have, you know, uh, Fire Eyes and 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 Fairbanks uh, figuring it out in the eighth and ninth, something like that. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense, especially because if, with Baz being stretched out at AAA right now. He can give you more than three outs. He can be a bridge. If you have a starter go four and a third, four and two thirds, which I think is very possible, they're going to miss Tyler Especially Glass if Rasmussen now. is one of your starters. <laughs> if, if, if you're, yeah, if, if you're relying on Rasmussen, Patino, Yarbrough, and McClanahan, I think generally a group of pitchers that they get as much out of as anyone could. Like We'd like a lot of those pitchers. Maybe not a single one of them is going to pitch past the you know the bigger beginning of the fifth. <laughs> yeah, o- over under on one and a half starts from the Rays in the postseason that goes more than six innings. Oh, <laughs> I mean, five? <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm saying that. I mean, if they do it once, okay. If they do it who twice, it I'd be a little surprised. Who would it even be? Who would be the one who did it? Yarbrough, maybe. Probably Yarbrough. He'd just get going. Mm-hmm. And just be really uh, efficient or something in some game. Yeah, no. So, yeah, I, I think that Baz is, is... I mean, they also have uh, David Robertson as an interesting name, but that doesn't fit the sort of lights-out stopper that comes out of the minus. I do think the Yankees have uh, somebody like this in Luis Gil. Um, I, I don't know exactly how to deal with the Luis Gil profile, which is a little bit like Waskari Noah, um, where... You have, I think he has probably better command, but it's the same idea where it's a fastball slider guy that you could coax along through five innings as a starter or or could be a dominant reliever. 
And uh, I don't really know. I think there's that risk is baked in. So I don't want to spend too much on Enoa and drafts next year or on Heal if it if he ends up in the bullpen. But I think for the stretch run, the Yankees, uh, he could be that one of those two spots that they get in September. I think he'd be really useful for them as a guy. So now you can have Loisaga, uh, uh, you know, pitch the six, or maybe you keep Loisaga around for the eighth and ninth because Chapman keeps uh, falling apart. And maybe Heal becomes that uh, sixth inning uh, stopper that you need. Um, and then there's another name in, in the same division that's really kind of fits right with all these guys is Nate Pearson. Oh, man, if you told me the Jays were going to be in the mix for the postseason late in the year, I would have said, well, Nate Pearson's probably pitching really well. And he's been hurt. I mean, he's two and a third innings in the big league so far, 27 and two-thirds in the minors. And yeah, it's been one inning at a time at AAA since coming back. So clearly the focus, at least for the rest of this season, has shifted. But he could be completely lights out in a short relief role. I think he really does uh, show you how difficult it is to become a starting pitcher in this league and how and why uh, it's really not a great bet to, to bet on young starters uh, on your team. That I think that uh, there's almost every starter that comes up has a year or two or three that it takes them to figure out how to use their arsenal at the major league level. There's very few that come and dominate from the beginning. I thought Pearson had a shot, but the command hasn't been good. Um, and sometimes that command is either ironing out mechanics or, or simplifying, a, a, a simplifying a, a, a resume, simplifying what you're throwing. Uh, there was an interesting name. This, this whole idea I got kind of from Eric Longenhagen over at Fangraphs. He had some scouting notes uh, where he was kind of going through interesting names that could come up. And uh, he brought up Ronel Blanco. Uh, it was a name I'd never heard of before. The AAA closer for Houston. Uh, has the highest swing strike rate among their upper level minor leaguers. Uh, you know, there could be uh, there could be that spot for him too. Uh, like I said, we're all talking about basically two spots on the roster. Uh, maybe some teams will just bring up two relievers uh, to, to for the for those two spots. Right, um, right. And Blanco might be the kind too. of guy that throws the sixth inning a lot. I mean, it could he could be this year's Enoli Paredes, right? The guy that you're like, oh, look at this dude coming out. And, and Paredes himself is is not is struggling a little bit with the command in the minor leagues right now. Yeah. So those those I think those players could be useful in deeper leagues, so that uh, <laughs> we people find some use out of this. I think that what we're talking about here are very interesting names that you could stash for next year um, that will come up and pitch this year. They're also very likely to have the dual designation SPRP. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, they will, uh, for deeper league uh, people, if they're pitching the six, they will pick up some wins. So I know it's not super exciting to talk about uh, Jacob Webb uh, or uh, I, I don't know who this guy is, Luke Barker. Luke Barker? Yes, I think he's a, a brewer. Really? Yeah, yeah. 29-year-old 20, at AAA. Really good results everywhere he's been. And no notes. Who yeah. is Luke Barker? Is this dude throwing like 85? Does know anything about Luke Barker? <laughs> I'm going to go find out something well, how about, about this him. One? How about this one? A Rodis Vizcaino, baby. He's back? He's back. No. And he's with the Mets, and the Mets could use him, I think. The Mets and the Jays are tanking so hard right now in terms of their playoff odds though like they're under 10 percent. i think the mets and mariners are nearly equal in playoff probability right now according to fan graphs like that is something 
I did not expect to say even two weeks ago. Yeah, yeah. And and uh, the Mets, as much as they they spent and traded for uh, pitching depth, have really seen that fall apart. Jordan Yamamoto hurt. Joey Lucchese hurt. Uh, Tyler Magill has been good, a uh, uh, little bit spotty recently. I still think he's a long-term uh, major league starter, um, but uh, they they still need more, <laughs> and they don't have any more. There's there's nothing in the cupboard anymore when it comes to starting pitcher. I mean, I, I Franklin Colomb is maybe interesting, but I don't think he's ready this year. So, uh, yeah, I think the Dodgers may have an interesting guy in Andre Jackson. We saw him come up uh, and flash uh, a really nice changeup, a power changeup that he would actually uh, throw front door. Um, and uh, I think they could bring him up uh, and maybe Duffy. That'd be an interesting righty-lefty usage of those extra two roster spots. I think if you have uh, the versatility that the Dodgers have on the offensive side, uh, then you can use those two roster slots on pitchers and if you did a righty-lefty thing with Andre Jackson, yeah, Andre Jackson is a righty, isn't he? 99% sure, yes. Um, I wouldn't use, I would not use a lifeline if this were a uh, <laughs> who wants I to be a millionaire situation. I remember seeing a power changeup, but was it lefty on lefty? No, he's a righty, okay. Uh, I think that bet might be an interesting uh, use of, of those roster slots to have guys with some length in Andre Jackson and Danny Duffy. Uh, but also righty lefty, um, so I think that's something that might happen. I was looking at the uh, Padres situation, and I came up with a guy, Stephen Wilson, who has a good extension and can hit ninety-seven, uh, and that's about all I got. The Giants have a guy who hit one oh four nine in the minor minor leagues this year, Camilo Doval. He also no command, uh, yeah. but he reminds me a little bit of Classe. Hmm. That's uh, uh, so it's with some movement. It's not it's just a 101 mile an hour cutter kind of deal. Yeah, yeah. It's it's triple digits with movement, not just triple digits in flat. Yeah, I don't know why it doesn't work for him to just throw to the middle of the zone. Stuff plus loves him. Uh, even location plus doesn't say he's that bad. So I think maybe they they'll bring him up. Maybe it's a soft bring up at first, where they bring him up and they just pitch him in in losses to to have an extra arm. Um, but I could see him coming up and and turning things around. I think this is a pretty fun group of pitchers because they could end up in very random, like important situations. Could be a tie game with runners on in the fifth or sixth inning, but they might be the best option because of bullpen usage in a given moment. And some of these names, like Barker, I mean, literally on the team I follow, and I feel like I've never even seen his name listed anywhere before. Could not find anything on him. <laughs> and I, I was just our our friend Will Salmon had a piece looking at the Brewers bullpen depth about a week ago and had other options there's a second like a section looking at more guys that could be up and he wasn't even mentioned there it's like <laughs> yeah he must maybe he must throw 85 maybe he's like a maybe he's like a side armor or something. right like, yeah he's like, a, he's like another eric yardley or something <laughs> we have to find out the story find uh, us find us luke barker <laughs> his numbers are great <laughs> gotta get that scouting report i promise even his projections are decent you know like it's not yeah i don't know they got to be. The results have been so good for a few years now. 
And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. So all of this uh, was actually inspired, I think, by an email from Vince, who writes, The one league I play in is a head-to-head AL-only league with 10 teams. We have five keepers, and there are no limits on how long a player can be kept, which makes keeper decisions very important. I'm second waiver priority behind a manager who is often semi-engaged at best. That's a really nice way to put it. Uh, My question, who are the best AL prospects you expect to debut the rest of the season, we'll obviously get to a few NL ones too. I, I mean, I think the group we were just talking about, most likely, those are the best players that are going to come up. They are mostly Shane, relievers. Shane Boz is the, the answer once again. Boz is the guy you want if he's available. If Boz isn't there, I think I'd go heel over Pearson at this point because of the injuries, you know? Yeah, but heel's already debuted, right? Yeah, but there's a chance that because he's been up and down, maybe he's still floating out there. So, and, and Pearson's uh, already debuted too. But I, I guess I'm I'm just looking at names that are good and intriguing and could have long term value from the AL side. Whereas just about everybody else, there, even like Ronel Blanco, like I in a keep five AL only situation, no, that's not going to happen. I doubt Rutschman comes up. I don't think like I don't think for, they're do for it. September, like September. I don't. I just I think that hmm, Torkelson and Rutschman. Do you think they come up? No, I don't. I don't think we see Wit. I don't think we see Julio Rodriguez. But they're a A. We used to do this, right, where they come up in September. However, we also used to have more than two roster slots, I guess. Could they squeeze Josh Lowe into the outfield? The Rays, that is? Could they do that? Wouldn't they do Bruhan first? You'd think, but I think we've also reached the point where Lowe would be a guy they would trust in center field. Bruhan probably isn't a guy they want to play in center field, at least come playoff time. Yeah, I think with Schwarber, there's no Tristan Cassis coming up in, in Boston, and that would have been a, a stretch anyway. Uh, I I think this two I think this two roster slot rule is really going to uh, hurt that September call-up idea. Um, if you have two roster slots and you're the Cardinals and you still think you're in it, you're not picking up Nolan Gorman, right? You're going to pick up like two relievers, probably. Yeah, it's it's not a good time to be adding to the roster for the future, unfortunately, because teams just don't operate in a way that that gives you a lot of opportunities to grab value this late in the year. Yeah, and if you're, I think like well, there is going to be a fall league, so if you're worried about uh, innings or plate appearances for a player, like say Alec Thomas in Arizona, let's say you you want him to get a full slate of, of plate appearances this year. Instead of bringing him up to the major leagues and starting his clock, you send him to the Arizona Fall League where he gets more plate appearances and fills out his year. And instead of, uh, you know, instead of starting his clock, you look at like more boring 
names um, to see if they could be your fifth outfielder. You know what I mean? Like you, I don't think you audition. Uh, I don't think you audition Alec Thomas right now. If you're the D backs, you, uh, I mean, even with somebody like Cole Calhoun out, you, I think you just run out Varsho every day to see if he's going to be your, your everyday center fielder. Uh, give Pavin Smith all the at bats he can get to see if he's going to be your right fielder with, after Calhoun, um, and uh, and you do that instead of having Alec Thomas up to sometimes play. Yeah, uh, I'm going to say you're you're dead on here. I just don't see any of those teams that are looking to the future, making the moves like that at this point. Um, so I'll say Josh Lowe is the long shot, air quotes, position player most likely to find his way on the big league roster, but I'm not actually expecting that to happen. I think it is going to be pitchers. I think Shane Boz is the guy that you're waiting for if you're in a position like the one Vince described. And if you're in an NL situation that is similar. Edward Cabrera coming up right now. That's probably about as good as it's going to get talent-wise. Cabrera coming up, the debut will be today. So you get to look at him before waivers run if he hasn't been picked up already. I, I think he's probably the best player that comes up the rest of the way. Uh, do you do you like any of the sort of Nolan Jones or or uh, Nolan Gorman types? I, I mean, I don't I don't think so. No, and I think Gorman's also going to be the kind of player that probably has a good bit of swing and miss in his game initially that he right. needs to so iron like, out. Right, so you're not going to pull him up and then have him like hit 100 for like wh- where is he going to play now? Uh, although I'm I'm impressed. This is something I did not notice yet, but his K rate's way down at AAA. He actually brought it down moving up a level, 19.3% after running 26% or higher everywhere through A-ball. Like, that's that's pretty encouraging for Gorman. Uh, are the Cardinals just dead, though, at this point? Like, their their incentive to bring him up is low. 3.2% chance of making the playoffs. Yeah, but above 500 and, like, you know, could still be like, hey, we're only... I guess it's like six games out. <laughs> uh, but they aren't they like, aren't they the first team out? Well, they're right behind. They're, they're the next team behind the Reds and, and, and Padres. Yeah, so what would you do? How would you fit him into the lineup? Obviously, you're going to play Arenado every day. Do you start benching, I don't know, Paul DeYoung and running Tommy Edmond out there at short or something? Like, How do you, how do you fit Gorman in defensively? Well, let me look at the payroll and see who is a free agent next year. Matt Carpenter's gone next year, but he's not really playing right now, right? Nope, not really playing. Uh, Andrew Miller's gone. $17 million club option on Carlos Martinez that you might have thought would be uh, exercised when they signed it. Probably not. Uh, Hap, Wainwright, and Lester are gone. Kim is already gone. DeYoung's around for too long. I don't think you give up on him. He's cheap and he's around. And yeah, I don't think so. So you got to play Edmund somewhere because you're not going to bench him. And right now you got to play Bader and O'Neal. Why was O'Neal benched today? He's banged up. Oh, yeah. But you're playing Bader and O'Neal in the outfield and you're playing Bader, O'Neal, Edmund in the outfield. So I mean, there's not really a room for a regular player, is there? Carlson is back too, I think. He's healthy now, so you're playing him every day. So I think that's part of the problem for Gorman. Someone has to get hurt if he's going to get the opportunity. So I wouldn't wouldn't be waiting on him. As They're a little bit thinner option. in the infield, so I guess it's possible. 
Jose Barrero was already up. We talked about uh, him, I think, last week. I mean, I think he could be among the better position players to come up recently if you're in a situation where he's still out there. Who's playing second for them? Why am I blanking on this? Edmund. Oh, okay. Yeah, he makes sense. So, yeah, I mean, I you, think, can move, you can move that's Edmund around. Well, that, yeah, you could play. You can move Edmund around, but I don't. I don't think. I don't know if there's a reason to do that. He seems like he's a solid regular. So I think uh, I think the yeah I think you're right. They're thinner on the infield. So the way that Gorman comes up is if Arnado gets hurt or Edmund gets hurt. Yeah. Um, NL side though, yeah, it's not it's not great. Like I said, not the best possible time to be uh, looking for value on the prospect front. Uh, but hopefully that was helpful in some way for Vince, and hopefully the digging into the bullpens and looking for the next K-Rod was uh, entertaining. And at the very least, now you know who Tyro Estrada is. If you're not a Yankees fan or a Giants fan, that you'd heard that name any point, any podcast over the uh, course of Ooh, the season. I got one last name. Yeah. Josh Jung? I thought he was going to be up already, so I guess you could keep him... You could keep him in the conversation because they're, but they're they're they've gone the way of like Arizona, where they're so incredibly bad. And I think because of the injuries he's had, he's moved a bit slower than expected. Just let him have a nice finish to the season in the minor leagues and call it a good good year. And mm-hmm. it's not me saying he's not ready. He looks he looks he like looks he is ready. ready yeah. So I, that's possible, but probably more in the Alec Thomas the camp so- of why do it? Yeah, the Rangers are so bad. Oh man. Uh, but but they do have they do have guys on the way, they do have guys on the way. So, and you know what? I kind of like you know this is why Jung won't come up because they're trying out. This is the type of player you're going to see instead of the top prospects. You're going to see Yanni Hernandez and Yohel Pozo. Oh my God! I just really did. I just really screw that up. How do you say it? What Yohel Pozo? Yeah, that's how you say it. Sounded it sounded pretty wrong. I think you said it right. All right. Anyway, uh, that that's who you're that's who you're gonna see. Um, that's who you're gonna see, right? You're gonna see these guys. Were like, are you are you a regular or are you a backup? Yeah, you're breaking the quad A test right now. Yeah, and I like Yanni Hernandez. Um, I don't know if he's a regular, but I think he's definitely on the team next year. So they give him a, a burn to see if, like, okay, is Yanni Hernandez going to take second from Solak? Mm. Let's play them both for a while now and see what happens. Yeah, no, I, I'm with you. I think that's exactly where the, the bottom feeders are, especially. Just looking to the future with guys that could be on the roster but aren't necessarily on the roster and then clearing that space accordingly for the Josh Young and Alec Thomas types once we turn the page over to 2022. Like Jason Martin, right? Like you play Jason Martin, uh, you give him full burn for a month, and then, you know, if he still has a 40 WRC plus at the end of it, uh, you BFA him pretty much. Yeah. If you've got questions for a future episode, hit us up, rates and barrels at theathletic.com on Twitter. He's at Eno Saris. I am at Derek Van Riper. If you don't already have a subscription to The Athletic, you can get one for 33% off at theathletic.com slash rates and barrels. It gets you coverage from everybody who writes for The Athletic, and it goes beyond baseball, too. Of course, you get fantasy football if you're ramping up for that. NBA coming back around, NHL coming back around, Premier League underway, so a lot of good stuff to read about on the site. Be sure to get a subscription 
if you don't have one already. That is going to wrap things up for this episode of Rates and Barrels. We are back with you on Friday. Thanks for listening. Thank you.